out to see Walk that drink, 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 walk that drink. Welcome to another edition of the Grizz Den Podcast. Right now, the Grizzlies are 32 and 20. They are second in the Western Conference, tied for fifth in the NBA. Offensive rating at 113.9, that's good for 12th in the NBA. Defensive rating at 110.2, they're down to third in that category. Net rating at 3.7, that is fifth overall. Per cleaning the glass, their point differential is at a five flat, which is still second in the league. We have a full crew here today. Welcome, Ty. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thanks. Happy to be here. What's up? Good. I might be requesting a trade after this podcast. Brantley? From the pod? <laughs> How many hours. gummy worms have you had, Ty? Over under 17. Too many. Okay. All right, so for this podcast, we gathered at, at the table, um, both literally and figuratively, because the Grizzly season right now, um, in the in the public eye and you know on Grizzlies podcasts everywhere, we're at we're at a crossroads, and the Grizzlies have um, dropped seven of eight. Um, they're they haven't looked amazing um, in the process, and there's all types of reasons that we're going to dive into, and we're going to get into some debates because we really and truly, I feel um, for the first time since John ja Morant has uh, has been on the team. I think there's a there's philosophical differences that are bubbling up um, between different camps of Grizzlies fans, and especially in the context of the trade deadline coming up uh, this Thursday at 2 p.m. Grizzlies have a lot of decisions to make, and so we are going to dive into not only all of the trade uh, chatter, and we all brought some ideas for trades, but uh, before that, we're going to talk big picture and uh basically we have a, we have a platform here to to discuss these things and so we're going to use it and we're interested to hear any feedback you can always email the show at grizzdenpod at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you see where you're at with everything and um guys before we get into before we get into the debates if you will uh we had some exciting news that happened last thursday uh, it was no surprise that John Morant was the first reserve announced on TNT uh, for the All-Star game. But the very last uh, envelope that Charles Barkley opened, he read from the Memphis Grizzlies, Jaron Jackson Jr. And I don't know about you guys, but I was very surprised um, based on some of the guys that were uh, not that had not been announced yet, including Anthony Davis, Devin Booker, De'Aaron Fox, just to name a few. But Jaron Jackson Jr. is an all-star, and it's the first time in franchise history that we've had two all-stars from the Grizzlies in the same year. Um, I'm going to go around and get y'all's reactions to that. Kraft, I'll start with you. Yeah, so I was thrilled. Uh, I know it, was, it did come as a big surprise. Uh, I had, you know, I think we'd, I'd kind of hinted in a previous podcast that just looking at the front court depth and with injuries and stuff that Jaron might, if he didn't get injured again, might have a way of sneaking in just because of the depth in the West on the front court. And so I was, I was super excited um, when I found out the news uh, um, so much so that my family was asking me what is wrong with you? Because like 
I quickly I was sprinting to turn the TV on when I found out the news, and uh, I was very excited. And, and I just want to salute the coaches. Um, I obviously completely agree with this uh, because I'm somebody who really prizes defense. It's 50% of the game. And to me, if you're the best at 50% of the game, if you're the best person, which Vegas, most people think that Jaron is a runaway favorite to win Defensive Player of the Year at this point, like, how can you not be in the All-Star game? It's like basically saying we're just going to reward people who are great offensively. But if you're the best defensively, you should. And the fact that the coaches, uh, you know, who picked the reserves picked them, I think it's huge because they're the ones who game plan. They're, they're the ones who know the people they have to think about when they go into a game. And, and, and for kind of – I saw on Twitter some, you know, the coaches, it's like, it's like the AP, you know, college football poll. Like, they don't really care. They're just throwing stuff out there. Well, if that's the case – then you would not get a surprise pick like this. Um, if that is the way they're thinking, you know, you could maybe look at the East and see picks like DeMar DeRozan and some other picks in the East and the reserves where it's like, oh, this is a known name. This is somebody uh, that's been in the All-Star game before. But this is a first-time All-Star. There would be no reason. Nobody's hyping him up for the All-Star. Nobody knew it. It meant that, that the coaches went in and, and picked him, and they intentionally put him on their ballots uh, enough so that he became reserve, and I, I think, you know, it's huge. And in a in a league where I think we look up and and different players are scoring 30, 35, 40 points every night, um, I think maybe having the best defensive player in the league is important. Rim protection is important. Lowering the collective field goal percentage when you're on the floor by five or six points matters. Uh, coaches have to scout, and so I think they rewarded them, and I'm really excited about that. Ty, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think it's – so Jaron's selection to me, I get that it was um, a little controversial because I think if you put up like the counting stats next to some other guys, it makes a little bit of sense primarily to Anthony Davis's counting stats. I think the whole Anthony Edwards versus uh, De'Aaron Fox argument is not entirely accurate because they're completely different positions. And until the all-star voting comes down to a positionless vote, clearly positions matter. So the people saying, you know, comparing Jaron and Fox and Jaron and Edwards next to each other is just like that's irrelevant because um, there are different positions and all-star votes still count towards positions. Um, I wanted to look up because I was, I was curious of like Gobert's three all-star visits um, when Gobert made the All-Star game. Uh, Draymond, even, when he made All-Star games, his counting stats, I didn't really look at Draymond's as much. But I just thought of Gobert was considered the best defensive player in the league. Um, every year he made the All-Star game, it was because his team was good and he was awesome defensively. And Jaron, you could argue the exact same thing this year, right? His team is awesome, and he's arguably the best defender in the league, some would say. Um, so interesting that Gobert's stats are basically 15 and 10, 14 and 10, 15 and 11 during his all-star selections. Um, the blocks per game, basically two, three, and two. Um, so if you compare Gobert being an all-star versus Jaron being an all-star, you would argue that Jaron is way more impactful defensively and Gobert made it solely because of his defense. Um, so I think it's completely fair. 
And especially, again, when you look at who you are comparing him to, which is it is basically between Jaron and AD. And if you look at impact on the floor, what all he's doing, yes, counting stats don't add up. Um, plus minus is a big factor. Jaron's is way above defensive metrics. Jaron blows everyone out of the water. Um, and the coaches, again, to Kraft's point, the coaches are made, yeah. making these selections, and they clearly view him um, – as an all-star. Yeah. So, I think yeah. you got to take that for what it's worth. Yeah, Jaron's eighth in real plus minus. So. What do you think, Brantley? I, I, I'm happy for Jaron. I'm just not one that puts a ton of stock into this stuff. I think it's really cool for the franchise to have two for the first time ever. I'm hopeful that over time things like this can maybe add in to start giving trips and benefit of the doubt on the court. Um, cause we all know he needs it, um, with the refs and maybe even it just gives him some confidence to where he can maybe, uh, continue to evolve his demeanor on the court. Um, and that might can have some impact too, but I'm happy for him. I honestly didn't put a whole lot of thought into it because I'm just so pissed off about where the Grizzlies are <laughs> in general. Yeah. And we're going to get there. The, the well, thing I just said that we're awesome. I don't know what you're talking about. The thing, mm, the thing I'll that. say about we have a lot of L's yeah. we're an awesome recently. Team. We're an <laughs> awesome team. Uh, not to you know prevent us from getting there uh, to that conversation um, sooner rather than later. But the the one thing I'll note too is I think timing is important for all this All Star stuff because you have guys like KD um, who are going to be ha- need injury replacements. And um, you never know what could happen to in the next week. You know, you could need more than that even. And so I I feel like a lot of these guys that people were complaining about not getting in are just going to get in uh, through that. And all of a sudden we're going to look up and the Jaron selection isn't that big of a deal. Because right now it really is like it's the coolest thing ever on a podcast to say that Jaron didn't deserve it and that this other guy did. And so I think we're going to look up in in a little bit of time and that's not going to be the case. And it's going to be deserving, I think, in the long run. Can I get a couple more empty the notebook? So yeah. I know we don't normally empty, no, empty the notebook in the news portion, but uh, just a couple other things. Um, one, uh, you know, and again, uh, Anthony Davis is a great player. Um, uh, your team needs to win some games. The Lakers suck. That's why you're not an all-star. So end of story for that, Lakers Twitter. Win some games. Be in the play-in game. And then maybe you can get two all-stars in the game. Uh, by the way, uh, I know there's a thing out there about foul rate and Jaron's fouls. And uh, I'll have you know that, again, uh, Jaron is down every year, 4.1 to 3.8, 3.5 to 3.3. By the way, uh, talking about All-Stars, there's some All-Stars and All-Star Reserves that have higher foul rates than Jaron this year. Uh, Sabonis has a higher foul rate. Joel Embiid, higher foul rate. Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, Antetokounmpo, I can't even pronounce his last name, higher foul rate. Just to let you know, for all the people who talk about he fouls too much is the narrative for Jaron. He has a lower foul rate than multiple other all-stars. So, you know, whatever, take that with you will. And then finally, uh, Anthony Sane reminded me of this, and it was something that I remembered a long time ago because, you know, Jaws rookie year, uh, you're trying to figure out, does he like Memphis? What is he thinking? He goes to the, um, you know, to the Rising Stars game. And a New York media person uh, asks Jaw, uh, "What you know? What what all-star players do you hope to play with one day?" 
And of course, there's a New York media person asking this, you know, hoping to create some news by his answer. And Jaw looks up and unblinkingly says, Jaron Jackson Jr. And so I just, um, that was a cool story. And uh, that I remembered, uh, shout out to Anthony Sane for my, you know, he put it on Twitter, remind me, uh, because I remember seeing that too. But, uh, but I just thought that was a cool, cool story. Uh, Job predicted it, and it's now happening. And I hope they get drafted to the same team, because that would be really, really fun as well. Um, we also had another, or we had a return uh, this past week, and one that's been highly anticipated, and that was Danny Green back on the court uh, in, the, in the game against the Portland Trailblazers. Um, he did airball one more three than he made. And, uh, and he, uh, we were joking, of course, uh, not only on this podcast, but also during the game. You know, every shot he misses, everybody's going to want to trade him. Every shot he makes, everybody's going to want to keep him. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to get more into that discussion here shortly. But uh, overall, uh, it could be brief. But what did y'all think about his return, how he looked, how he could fit in this, in this Grizzlies team? What do you think, Ty? I mean, I think how he could fit is pretty clear. Um, any living, breathing person that can make a three can fit perfectly. Uh, he didn't really do that that well in his first game. Do we expect um, him to, though? Yes, 100%. I think okay. – I mean, you have to expect him to do that. Like, that's literally, in my opinion, why he's on our team. Um, yes, you can talk about the veteran present side of things, but I think the, the reason – you know, the front office, I think, is wanting to hold on to him is because of his quote-unquote 3-and-D type presence that he brings. Uh, maybe a little bit less defense in that, but he's a career-high 30% three-point shooter on teams that have been very successful. And if you watch the Grizzlies at all, you see how many open corner-to-wing threes we create. Uh, we have to have someone that can hit those shots. Um, and if he is even who he was, again, we talked about this earlier on a podcast, is if he is who he is before he had his knee injury, which is probably saying a lot and maybe a little bit of wishful thinking, but if that's, if that's the case, he's going to be valuable because he can simply hit shots. Uh, of our wing rotation right now, I think like maybe Dylan is like our best three-point shooter at a, at a wing position, and he's at like 30% from three, which is terrible. Um, so anyone that can knock down shots is, is going to play a big role. Maybe, maybe honestly, we're going to ask too much of him. I don't really know to be determined. Um, but I thought he looked fine. I mean, I mean, I don't know what you can expect from a 35 year old coming off of a big knee surgery, you know, with eight he hasn't played off. basketball in eight months. Exactly. I mean, like, what not, can you you're expect? not going to see it in the first game. I thought he played fine. He did air ball two, two shots, which is tough, but we'll so see. So did everybody we'll else. So. That's true. Yeah. What'd y'all think? I mean, I'll say, I mean, I was, uh, it was about what I expected. He did hit a three, he airballed two, um, which is kind of funny. Uh, I was more frustrated, honestly, because uh, I think we weren't taking the Blazers seriously, and we were up, we got up 10 early, and Dan Green was in the game, and it really felt like, uh, just watching the bench, I was there at the game, it, it was like, let's get Danny some shots game, and it, I think it messed us up. I think we could have been up by 15 or 20 at halftime if we'd like taken this seriously. Instead, we messed around and tried to get him shots. And I think the Blazers, honestly, looking at their bench, they took it very personally. That it was like, oh, let's just give Danny some shots. And uh, so that was so that part, you know, was a little frustrating to me. Um, but you know, I think 
you know, the, he still looked good. You know, it's funny because, you know, I was talking to people around me and they were like, oh, he kind of looks like an old man waddle kind of going on. I was like, but that's like what he always looks like to me. So, you know, to be determined, um, I'm glad he's there. Uh, I don't think we saw anything that would make me say he's untradeable or anything like that. I think if we can find an upgrade, you know, uh, I think go for it. But at the end of the day, you know, it's exciting to have him out there and hopefully he can be, like Ty said, uh, you know, something like what he was before the knee injury. He was – I was also at that, at that game. He was very vocal defensively. It was one thing in, in that the moments that he was in, it was very quiet in the arena. You could hear him yes, on the court. It was. <laughs> you could what hear it. Snow day, <laughs> snow day. <laughs> there was not many people there. You could really hear him. So in a second unit where that's never something I've actually observed before, thought that he was talking a lot. But, yeah, it's it's hard to take any I, – I sort of feel like the front office has probably already got their decision locked in with him. Um, depending on what comes down the pike this week, uh, or you know, they're just they know what they're going to get out of him, and they're willing to maybe slot him ahead of somebody else, unless it was just disastrous. That's what I sort of feel like. You you kind of have to already have a predetermined uh, strategy with Danny Green, in my opinion. So you're saying if he had you know made three shots instead of missing most of them, then they wouldn't have changed their course on what their plan was. I don't was. think so. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, Okay, let's get let's get to it because right now we are um, in a in a weird spot and all year you know we've had you know obviously the eleven game win streak was I feel like the peak of of this season so far and we had a little bump in the road around Christmas time we um, have definitely shown a few weaknesses with this team and yet uh, we remain right there at the top, um, just behind Denver in the Western Conference. But um, there are obviously some concerns. And right now, I'll, I'll, pass, I'll pass the mic to Brantley just to, I feel like, you know, it, it's only fair that you get the first word and then we will go from there. Why is that only fair? <laughs> because you sp- I, I speak, feel like... Speak for the people. I, I, need, feel- I need 10 minutes. Yes. I need 10 minutes from Tubbs. <laughs> okay. Well, my monologue was not really prepared. Um, um, I'll just there. This is probably where um, this table does not love this um, analogy so much. But I just think the thing that's really struck me during this streak has just been the body language thing, and it's a, it's it's persistent in every game with every player. It's just felt very, very different, except, I would say, the Cavs game. The Cavs game, before Dylan Brooks bleep nut shot, um, maybe you don't have to bleep that out, but (laughs) bleep was what I wanted to say beforehand. At this point, is you know, had the the joke made. The sort of body language, I, I think, sort of just feel of the team felt maybe the way that it was during our run where we had moxie, we had more confidence in what we were doing. You know, we still were obviously lacking um, our our strength um, with, with Steven Adams, it kind of felt like. But I, I don't know. It just kind of felt different even in a game of which I just was fully expecting us to get just completely destroyed. And so I, I don't really have a big take on – um, 
what is driving that body language thing. Maybe it really started with partying too hard out, out West and just losing sight of, you know, kind of the grind of the season um, and celebrating a player. Maybe that's possible. Maybe some players know they're on the block and that's getting word throughout the locker room and the, and a young team hasn't handled it well. Uh, Maybe we're just distracted I don't know. All three of those things to me are possible and are still happening and, or something else could be possible too. And it's just, it just is really frustrating because I think when you look at the, the games that we've lost during this stretch, I think each game has excuses where we as fans can say, well, if this one, this is the reason this one happened and this is the reason this one happened and, you know, you look back at even some of our win streaks, there could have been something there that could have caused us to lose there. And honestly, I'm just like, man, I, I would have loved to have had three or four of those of those go W's because this next stretch is about to be really tough. Um, and there's – I mean, there's really no easy easy way out. Um, and I, I just want us to close strong versus going into the playoffs limping. And so it's just, like, got me really down. I just really think – I think the other thing, too, there's like a couple games that I've gone to, and this just is me maybe reading into much probably at times with our star player, but I just feel like it's getting to this like um, emotion with Ja at times when he's on the court where he's setting up an amazing assist to the corner again, miss three again, you know, setting someone up with an easy, you know, drive ability and they mess up without calling out who the players are. And I feel like Ja is getting to the point of like, man, I just need some help. I just need somebody to really be able to step up. And, you know, Bain and his recovery is just now really starting to show glimpses. Trip can't necessarily be trusted night in and night out on the offensive side to be that. And then we have no one else. We have no one else offensively that we can trust. And it feels like the grit and grind era where we have these defensive ratings and we can't shoot, we can't score on offense, and we have one of the most electric players in the NBA right now. And it's just, it's just mind-boggling and it's disheartening. And I don't think there's an easy fix, and I don't think it's going to happen in the trade deadline. It seems as though a lot of this is centered around – I mean, I know the, the, um, the narrative around Dylan has absolutely changed, um, at least – I know for me, and I'll, I'll just speak personally, there, there are times this season when I feel like Dylan has been um, incredibly valuable. And there are night, like night to night, there aren't a lot of guys that do what he does. Um, and, and also when all of our, let's just say, like core pieces and Ja, Jaron, and Bain were in the lineups, Dylan's uh, shots even were, were going down to the proper place that they should have been. And and yet, in the last month or so, he's had one of the worst stretches of his entire career. And it just so happens to be coinciding with the moment in which the Grizzlies have been ascending. And I think there's also just a lot of noise right now around the team. And it's it's almost as if they're... And I've complained about this on the podcast before. It's like, I don't love... All, the talking that's happening. And I know that from our end, from our end, I don't because, and yeah, like the, we're fine in the West has been beaten to death at this point. Like it was literally one interview and yet everybody references it. But I think also 
you can't not if you're another team. Like you would get a like that would be a direct attack on you uh, from a guy who has has not done anything yet uh, legitimately. And so with with Dylan though always being the the instigator on our team, he's kind of the dog if you will and plays that role. I think it reached kind of a fever pitch with the Cleveland thing because it was seen as completely unnecessary. Um, it was seen as uh, distracting. Like, and, and I don't believe that we were going to win that game no matter what happened. Um, and, I mean, were we better with when Dylan left? No. Uh, we weren't great when he was there either. And so I personally am at a point with Dylan where it has gotten tiresome to defend. And if we were to make a trade, I would, I would, I would be relieved in some ways. But at the, on the other end, if I'm in the front office right now, Dylan's value in the court of public opinion, at least, has never been lower. And so, how can you responsibly use what you have with this asset to try and get as much as you can? And yet you're also dealing with it expiring at the end of this year. And so you, you have less than seven days at this point to figure it out. Um, and so it's just a really, really, really tough position with Dylan in particular. And we're going to talk about trade ideas coming up here. And I'd be shocked if some of us did not have Dylan and and some of those trade ideas. Um, but I will say, I think part of it is Dylan and that has, that feels like it's reached a point where like the Grizzlies fans at large are about to turn on Dylan and I've felt it myself. So what what have you felt like, Ty, about Dylan so far? Where are you at with him? I'm trying, yeah, I'm trying not to be a prisoner of the moment. Um, but if you're asking me right now, I am. I know the answer. This I'm, is the moment, prisoner. Yeah, I'm I'm done. <laughs> as as surprising as that may be, um, I sent a bunch of stats. I I mean. I could read them off. Uh, we were talking about like, if we're just going to go a little bit in on Dylan, not just Dylan, but also like our just wings in general have been awful, but let's, let's just go with Dylan here. Cause he's our starting three guard. He's our starting wing. He's second, I think on our team in minutes played behind jaw. Um, big contributor. Let's just say that right. in like what he's doing, um, he is one of the least efficient players in the entire league um, of guys who actually play minutes. Um, that matters, right? To Brantley's point, when the defense breaks down and you have four guys with a foot in the paint and you kick it out, like, A, it'd be awesome if you could make a shot, but B, like, could you just do something, right? Like, it is literally you and no one around you. Like, yes, make the shot or be like kind of create off the dribble, like kind of make a good play off of a, like attacking a closeout, all those buzzwords that people say. It's just, it's none of it's happening at all. He is one of the worst offensive players in the entire NBA. Again, of players that actually play legitimate minutes. Um, the thing is, it's been this way for years. So for us to expect that to be different, again, it's, it's wish casting. It's, it's hopeful thinking, wishful thinking that's just not going to happen. He is who he is at this point. He, 
plays really hard and he's incredibly inefficient. Um, along with our other wings that play that position. If you pull someone in the NBA, it'd be like, what is like the top, what's like, what position do you want to be really good at in today's league? I guarantee you a lot of it is like, man, we need like a six, seven to six, nine wing who can like play. We don't have one of those guys at all. Um, Jaw is doing everything he can. Again, to Brantley's point, it's the most clearest thing in the world is like he is breaking, he's doing everything he's supposed to do and then nothing is paid off on the end of it. It's just, it leaves us in a really tough situation. Um, and I don't really know what to, to do about it because if you look at like, I kind of want to trade him, but like what other team is looking at an expiring deal of a guy who's going to want probably 20 plus million dollars on his next contract, probably like several years on that contract. So let's say at least four years, 80 million. Like what team is trading for that at this moment? Like, I feel like teams aren't really trading for a rental for the rest of the season. I just feel like we're really stuck kind of to Brantley's point again. He's like, what do we do about it? I don't really know. Like, I feel like we're we're really limited in our options of how to upgrade unless we really unload the chest of assets that we have to upgrade that point. All that to be said, regardless of Dylan, like, for, for me to take us seriously right now, and I'm not saying we have to make a trade. Maybe my expectations were too high of us this year. Maybe all the people preaching preseason, like, you lost Melton, you lost Kyle – we're not going to be as good. Maybe those people would be proven to be right. I don't know. Um, but I think for us to be truly contenders, like that position has to change. And can it right now? I don't really know. I just think we're we're kind of stuck in a, a rock and a hard place. Kraft, what do you think? Oh, man, which way? Lay it go? on me. Let's so, go. So, first of all, uh, I do. I think. I think the Dylan. I think I have more agreement with y'all with Dylan, but some caveats. But just to like bring us back from a ledge here, because I think we're feeling the seven, the one in seven, and the last eight games. Should we not be? We should not be at all. We should not be feeling the one in seven. As at, fans, we shouldn't we, be feeling we, it. Well, at all. no. So here's the deal. I'm not telling anybody how to feel. I'm fine with people being sad. I'm fine with uh with being angry like there is nobody that was more upset walking out of the blazers game than me trust me but for this to impact how you view the overall picture of the team and the postseason of the team to me is very wrong for instance so we we have where we were last year at this time we are three losses behind so we are three losses behind we have a better net rating this year than we did last year uh, in fact, and you know, we we are seen as one of the unluckiest teams. We are way below our wins with where our net rating is. Offensively, we are better this year than we were last year. Now we're worse as far as rankings because, you know, there's a lot better offenses this year. But we are a better offensive team this year than we were last year. Uh, we are just as awesome defensively this year as we were last year. In fact. You know, we're about the same, but we're, you know, number one. I do clean the glass because I don't care about blowout sets. We're number one for cleaning the glass defensively. We're elite defensively. We were last year too, but it stands out even more now because the rest of the league is better offensively. And we're the best defense, which to me is the zag to everybody else. 
Like we have the best defense when everybody else offensively is better. Our effective field goal percentage is better this year than it was last year by an entire point. Our turnover percentage is one thing, one, one turnover per hundred possessions higher, which to me, like I, like I think that is because we're playing a lot of rookies and we have a lot of, you know, we've had to play more new people because of the injuries we've had. You know, our offensive rebound percentage is just as awesome. Our free throw rate, as much as we complain about free throws and we complain about free throws, our free throw rate offensively is up 1.6. Our free throw rate defensively is down. And we, so we have basically gained two and a half made free throws per 100 possessions this year than last year. Uh, so overall, with all the injuries we've had, we have improved, if anything. We were better this year than we were last year, and we were awesome last year. We're more dominant at home. You know, I think all four of our losses at home can very much be explained with key people being injured. We lost to two awesome teams in the Celtics and the Kings with major players injured. Uh, the other two, I think the Suns very easily explained because of the terrible Christmas Day hangover. And I think the Blazers loss was a let's get Danny Green shots. We're going to relax because a couple of their guys got injured in the game. And literally it's dead. There's nobody there because of snow and ice. I mean, I think it's a very easy, but we're awesome at home. The other thing is everybody else is more awesome at home, too, because we don't have COVID stuff going on anymore. And because we're a really young team, I think we've struggled on the road. Guess what? Doesn't matter about struggling on the road. When you have freaking home court advantage throughout the whole playoffs, you don't have to win a road game. The only right team right now that we have to win a road game against in the West would be the Nuggets. And that's it. And I actually think they're kind of a regular season team. So that would be my, you know, I still don't know if we'd win, but that would be my bet to, that we would easily get to the West. And to me, it's just the narrative for me is the youth and being the hunted because of our talk. And I actually think that should make us feel better because we're not catching people like we did last year. We're getting their best bets now. So when we get to the playoffs, teams are not going to rise to a level. We've already felt it. We've already gotten the Warriors best. We're not going to get better Warriors when we get to the playoffs. We've already felt it. So that, to me, we've had more games lost to our core this year than we did last year. You know, and we, we've had to deal with constant absences as opposed to just one player being absent for a while. And so I think set this, all seven losses, and Brantley said this can be explained. I don't want to totally do that because I still think in this loss, you know, the loss of Lakers, the loss of Blazers, these are some of the worst losses of the year. And they're terrible. They're terrible. But, well, he was making a point, though. There's truth and sarcasm sometimes. But, like, that, to me, is the case that – you know, that even when we just shoot average, we destroy teams. And then I think we're going through a point right now where it's exaggerated. We're shooting well below even our season averages. And I think that will go up. So to me, I'm Warren Buffett. I look at the fundamentals. And the fundamentals say Grizzlies are an elite team. We're probably, in fact, we're the only contenders in the West, if you do the fundamental of being in the top ten of both. I throw, I throw the Nuggets in because they're elite in offense. And so sometimes every now and then, once every 15, 20 years, you have somebody come out of a conference if they're elite in one of the two efficiency categories. And I throw in the Warriors as well because they're just the Warriors and their, top, their starting five is really good analytically. Let me ask you a question. Yes. Uh, so you go to a little bit more games than I do. Uh, you, you watch as many as I do. Yes. But let's just th let's just talk about recently the games you've been to. Yes. How's the team feel? The team doesn't feel like themselves, but that's not to me saying, "Oh no." It's saying, "Okay, so it's, it's not saying, oh no, big picture." It's saying, "Oh crap, no, 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 we're no, going no. through it." Right Why now. would a team feel off? 
What is that a part of? So to me, it is a part of the fact that uh, I think they weren't ready to for the negative reaction. I don't think they were ready to be hated by everybody. I think that the Christmas game, I think Dylan, I think multiple things are going on with Dylan. I think he got punked on Christmas Day, and I don't think he's recovered from it, honestly. He's been bad pretty much ever since then. I think then throwing that onto the trade talks, uh, throwing on being a contract year, and I think he's in his head because I think, uh, and, I, and I agree with you know Ty, that Dylan, we, we know who he is. And, and the thought process was, be a lockdown defender, which I think he's done almost always. I mean, like even even the stupid Cavs game. I mean, the thing that annoyed me the most, and I, Mitchell can say whatever he wants because that was a dirty play by Dylan. But like he was having a terrible game because Dylan was guarding him well. And in fact, you know, and as I've said, the Cavs are better without Donovan Mitchell. So no, no, you know, of course, surprise, surprise, he goes out and then they blow us out. Uh, and so the fact of the matter is that we thought Dylan would have less shots. I think when we have our healthy core in, he does take less shots. I think that that is, it's marginal. And I, and so we'll get to the trade stuff. And, and so I'll talk about yeah, how so I'm, very I'm not open asking for this question about Dylan. Right. I'm asking this about culture. You're yes. our culture warrior. I am a culture person. Culture yeah. to me and my lexicon of yeah. organizational discipline and leadership is defined by your vision, mission, and your core values. Yeah. I think that there is a behavioral core value of this team that we would sort of say is like, we're, you know, we don't run from the smoke or whatever it is. We create the smoke and then we don't run from it, whatever that stuff is that I think in my mind is catching us this year and needs to change. And I, and I, my, my position on this is that it is going to limit our ceiling this year. I think that if we had been a little bit more humble, a little bit more steady, a little bit more, um, you know, Memphis language grindy in our approach versus talky, then maybe there's a chance that we stay a little bit more focused and it not have this extracurricular and internal impact holistically because we weren't ready. F- we aren't ready for the smoke that we created, no, in my opinion. True. I'll agree with that. And so that I think ultimately that's what I'm seeing principally it's manifesting itself through through different players. And I really think it's going to potentially lead to a first round exit this year. That's my, that's okay. And I just, I find it hard to believe stats be gone. Right. I know. I just, I find it hard to believe how dominant we've been at home against everybody that, you know, and we'll see. I mean, obviously that's the great thing about the regular season is we're going to get to play the Clippers at home. We're going to play the Warriors at home. We're going to get to play the Nuggets at home coming up. And so we can see then how we approach it. What I've seen is we're dominant at home. So I don't expect to lose a playoff game at home uh, in the playoffs. I mean, that's the way, that's my expectation. I also, I also don't think our youth and inexperience, like I don't think we're going out uh, for Dylan Brooks' birthday party the day before a game in the playoffs. I don't think, you know, uh, Taylor oh, Jenkins is wearing – Every team does I don't, that. But I don't that's think, not a youth thing. No, but I'm, I'm just saying that I don't – like what I see is Jaw said something. What I think he was thinking is, in our minds, we won't lose a seven-game series to anybody else in the West. That's what he thinks. And it's been taken to a totally different way. Which, you know, and then people talk, and just, I always laugh because everybody brings up how bad we are on the road against the West. I'm like, but that's, we don't care. Because at the time when Josh said that, we were tied for first. So in his mind, well, we're going to have home court advantage. And, and so my frustration with the last three weeks has been, I think our youth, we're, tw- you know, our three best players, 23, 23, 24, I think we're taking for granted. I think we think we can coast. 
And the league's just too good to do that. And on, in fact, and you know, and even then, we coasted for a half against the Suns and Lakers, still almost won. But then you have to be perfect down the stretch, and I don't think we're there yet. And I, so to me, I think you're right in that this might be a 2014 Warriors type year, where the year, where 2013 they get to the second round, everybody's hyping them up. 2014 they mess around, they get out in the first in the Clippers, but then next year they won the title. And so I don't want, I don't think that's this year. But what I would say is I'm not like to me. I still think we are on the trajectory of dynasty. Awesome. There's going to be no other team with three players as good as us going forward. Uh, when they hit their peaks. And so for me, I just feel like it sucks right now, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't create, we must make a panic trade. We have to, we have to change some sort of of fundamentals. No, I know. I mean, so, so I, in that sense, I am as a fan frustrated because we dropped three to four games. We shouldn't have these last three weeks. And if we hadn't done that, we'd be tied for first right now. And I think that's to me, it's like getting, not getting as good of a playoff matchup as we need. And, in in, you know, people say the West is down. I just think it, there's just a lot of good teams. There might not be a great team, although I think we're great by the analytics. Like, I think we're a great team, and I think the Denver's potentially great. Um, but, you know, but I do think that these sort of losses regular season are going to come back to hurt us. I do think that. I mean, but I don't – but I still think that means, to me, a Western Conference Finals exit against a one-seed Nuggets. few things. Uh, this, to me, is – exactly at the point where Taylor Jenkins makes his money because I do think there is risk with a young team despite analytics of falling into the mental trap of this is who we are now and we're going to now have to just I mean basically taking a complex of uh, we aren't as good as we we thought that we were at one time and now we have an identity crisis and that's where I think Jenkins comes in and it'll be very telling in the next week where we have, what, five more games till the All-Star break, which I think we can't get to fast enough. And so that's one point. The second point is I have been struck in particular in the last week of just how important Steven Adams is to the team. Um, And I I don't necessarily even mean culturally, which I think he's great there, but I mean on the floor. And I did some digging on this. Right now our record's 32 and 20. And I basically took every one of the five starters and I said, what is our record when they don't play? When all five play, last year it was really good. This year it's actually seven and four. So 64% win percentage. Uh, When Bain doesn't play, we actually are 13 and nine. So not bad. When Jaron doesn't play, we're 10 and seven. When Ja doesn't play, we're four and four. When Dylan doesn't play, we're three and one. He's only missed four games, but take that as you will. 75% 75% uh, win percentage when Dylan's not on the floor. Uh, There's a lot of smiles size on the table right theater. now, by the way. However, when Steven Adams doesn't play, we are 4-6. and six. That's a 40% win percentage, and that's by far the lowest. And also, I did the math on the three-point shooting because when you look at actually through all the stats, like I went through today, combed through like all the wins and losses and what in particular stood out from like the games that we won versus the game that we games that we lost. And it's cliche at this point in the NBA of it being a make or miss league. But for this team, it's even, it's even more important when the Grizzlies shoot 36 from 36% from three, which is league average. We are 20 and two like that to me is the issue. And that leads me to the point of, okay, so if we play average in that respect of the game, 
we are going to beat teams 91% of the time. Therefore, that's what we need to be focusing on. And right now, that's where I feel like we're lacking. Like, we don't have guys besides Desmond Bain, who's the only – we only have, like, four guys who are above league average in three-point shooting. Desmond Bain, Tyus Jones, Santi Aldama, and Jaron. The next one's John Conchar. Well, his volume is going to be nowhere near what it needs to be to ultimately be an impactful three-point shooter. And, yeah, like, John Conchar needs to hit a shot when he's open. And if he doesn't, that's he's going to suffer in the playoff rotation. Like, he doesn't need to be in there. How So, to me, if I'm the front office, I'm thinking if I can get one more shooter in here that's reliable. And I think part of them is, is like, maybe that's Danny Green. Maybe, maybe so. I don't know. But to me, when I'm going through all of it, like that's that's what sticks out the most. And I also last stat, and then I'll pass it off to whoever. When Adams plays, and the Grizzlies shoot thirty percent, that's it, thirty percent from three. We are twenty-four and six. And so I think the last week in particular has been overblown with the with the loss of Adams from the lineup. I don't think the mental side of the game has been overblown. Like, I do think that's at risk, and that's what I put on Jenkins at this point. Those are really helpful for context purpose. Uh, One thing I'll just kind of devil's advocate fight against a little bit. So you said we are 20-2 and when we shoot league average. So that's 22 games where we've shot league average. We've played 52 games. So basically half the games we've played, we have shot under league average from three. Correct? Is that kind yeah, of the way? Yeah, that's the problem that? too. Which makes me think we are just a bad shooting team. Yeah. Um, if you look at Steven Adams, what is he best at? He leads the league in offensive rebounding, I believe. He's like top three for sure. He has for the last decade. Right. So, yeah, there yeah. you go. So we are, as weird as this may sound, playing to his strength. Um as an offensive rebounder when we just miss a bunch of shots. I think it's really tough to win when you can't shoot. Um, I, I my, agree. My computer died, uh, so of course I can't look up these to confirm. But of the we are 23rd in the league, I think, in three-point percentage as a team. And only two of the bottom seven, so again, 30 teams in the league, we're 23rd, basically are in playoff contention. Miami is one. Um, and I don't remember the other one, so my bad on that one. My point being, bad shooting teams usually are not good. Um, to me, we are a bad shooting team. One thing I'll say about Steven Adams, uh, do y'all remember that time last year when he got played off the floor against Minnesota? Yeah, these stats scare me a lot. They scare me a ton. Yeah. If They're Steven awesome. Adams... That's what I'm saying, though. Yes. That's how important I, Steven Adams is. And it's to, really an, to an extent, he's important. If he gets played off the floor in a certain playoff series, how important can he be? I, this year is completely different than last year. Completely understand that. We're a different team, different players, different roles, all that kind of stuff. But he was unplayable against Minnesota. What happens if we line up against a team in the first round where he can't really hang, whether that's defensively switching, whatever it may be, like all that benefit that you're talking about is gone. So like if we can't like that is when our true, oh my gosh, we can't shoot, we can't hit a shot. 
that's when that is going to be glaringly obvious, just like these last couple weeks have been. And then what are we going to do to combat it? We can't just all of a sudden like make shots. So we don't have guys that can be like, oh, they'll just make shots eventually. No, it's going to be what's happened in the last couple of weeks. Can I silver lining this? Can you tell me who are, who are the players that are shooting over league average from three? Desmond Bain. Okay, missed, missed, missed double-digit games. Tyus Jones. Santi Aldama, Jaron Jackson. Jaron Jackson missed double-digit games. So two of our players who in the playoffs will both be playing major minutes, 35 to 40 minutes a night, who've missed double-digit games, two of our best shooters, uh, have not played in a lot of games. And so I say that to say I still think in the playoffs. We hope Jaron will be playing double-digit minutes. In so, I, you know, again, foul rate down, um, double-digit. Uh, well, how do you, can, can you ask me real quick, how do you calculate foul rate? Just fouls per game. Like the fouls you have per game, like it's 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 down, and and I hear like I mean I do think it matters, and I do think in a seven game series the negative is people will game plan like people decide we cannot beat them if Jaron's in the game, so we have to get Jaron out of the game, and so they're going to drive at them. But I'll say this: I'm just saying that I, I agree. So I mean, we get the trades, and you're going to see that I'm very much for us getting more shooting. But I, I do think that last year. Um, our lineup with Brandon Clark, take Adams out, put Brandon Clark in, was a very good lineup. I believe it's still a very good lineup this year. It hasn't played very as many minutes this year. It's getting a lot of time now. It's still a good lineup, I believe. And and so I say that to say that uh, we still have a situation where we have, you know, our starting five is going to have two very good shooters um, on the floor at all times, like two above league average shooters. And so obviously we see there that Dylan or whoever's in that role is important. Like that matters. Uh, but but I, I think that we have not um, we have not shot up to the level that we're capable of. I think we haven't. It's not that, you know, that we still have, you know, a potential to increase. And I think as we saw last year, we will shoot better as the season progresses. I think I think that number will be up as the season goes. If we can get any consistency you know, with, with our lineups. So one thing I wanted to know, you mentioned like Jaron missing double digit games. How many has he listed in the last like 20? Not a lot. How many have we lost in the last 10? A lot. Yeah. Well, we've played better. So the whole like, on the road. what the whole shooting thing is like, to me, Jaron is like a shooter in theory. Like he doesn't scare defenses. Like defenses are like, Oh my gosh, he's open on the wing. Let's go contest. So the whole point of like, gravity shooter like we have one and that's Bane like no one out no one is afraid of any of our other players shooting besides Bane and if we've seen anything with good defenses and good teams when you talk about playoffs like your point about like oh competition raises what do you think is going to happen in the playoffs you think just bad teams are going to be make the playoffs and that's who we're going to play no it's going to be really good teams with good defenses and they're going to know how to play us Right, And when they face guard Bain and they put three in the paint against Ja and we make Dylan and other players beat us from three, including Jaron. So, yeah, Jaron may be a league average, above average three-point shooter. Like we've, lo- we've lost seven of eight, and we've shot like under 30% almost every one of those games, and Jaron has been available. Right. So the point being of like you can't just like take – he's missed double-digit games and just like neglect our losing streak and while we're losing because that happened at the very beginning of the season. Jaron's missed one or two games since he's come back from injury. He's been incredibly available since then. 
And this last like two to three weeks of play, when we can't hit a shot, Jaron's been available. He's been on the floor. Oh, yeah. So I no, think I that like I think that matters too. No, I agree. I mean, I obviously, I mean, it's hard to do all these things in a vacuum because I would say, you know, the the reverse would be we didn't have Bain for a lot of those for some of those games. We haven't had Adams. For some but of those we games. did have Bain for a lot of those games. I, right, Bain's but, of the last fifteen no, games that we've played, Bain's played twelve. I know he's missed he's, three games. Right, but those. Th- but then he came back. But then Adams got hurt. I just think I'm saying that I think there is this issue of we haven't gotten the consistent all five guys like when we did honestly we screwed around and that's like to me my frustration is that we messed around we didn't take the christmas day game seriously um also bane was just coming back but and we didn't take the lakers game seriously and we didn't take the suns game seriously and honestly because we didn't take the suns game seriously adams got injured because he was diving on the ground at the very end of a game that we should have won easily and and that's the frustration for me is i just think i think the panic and the panic of we got to trade people, we got to do something, is when you play well and lose. And so for me, what I see is we're not playing well. We're not being the Grizzlies. We're coming out lackadaisical in first halves uh, and things like that. And then and and that's why. And then you know, but like when we actually really go out and play hard, we usually win. Or we lose a coin toss game to the Warriors in a game where we were missing Adams in a game where. You know, uh, honestly, like it's a coin toss game against a really good team on the road. And I, if there's anything that where I do worry that Brantley's going to be correct, it is that because of how young we are, um, the road is going to be hard for us. And I think the road's been hard for us. I still go back to, but we're going to have home court, I think, through the first two rounds. And I just, and I do think our guys do hit shots at home, you know, much more so than on the road. And, and I think that's going to carry us to at least a Western Conference Finals. And so while I want to upgrade our shooting, we'll talk about that soon here in a minute, like I just think there isn't, like I don't want to give up the farm for it, which I think is what a lot of people, I don't want to give up our culture and our, we draft a bunch of guys, we, enter, we develop, we do all these things. Let's not throw all that away for this year you know, like, like, let's trust the process just a little bit more. And I agree. And honestly, trust our coaches, like Will said, because I do think this is Jenkins' time now to get us out of the rut we're in. I think that's what you were kind of talking about is kind of a point that I've been trying to, like, think about in my own head is I, I texted y'all this, too. Like, maybe this current constructed roster is just not ready. And, Kraft, you clearly argue that it is. Um. My argument is that it it's, just, it's just not. And we are young, exactly what you've talked about. Like, we're a young team. What do you expect from this young team to go win on the road? Maybe that's just who we are right now. Maybe we're just a young team with we – sh- we have falsely elevated expectations for who we are and where we should be. Maybe that we started out hot because a lot of teams either started lackadaisical or couldn't figure themselves out or didn't really know who they are at the beginning, and we kind of did, so we took advantage of that. We won a lot of games early, and now things are kind of leveling out to where we are, and this is more a, of a, I don't know, appropriate level of where we are as a team. I don't really know, but I'm leaning more towards that right now, and I may be incredibly wrong. But right now, I'm leaning more towards like, no, this is a little bit more of who we are. We are a team that is not constructed to win right now. 
we are a team that is still growing, and that is fine. I'm not saying like, oh my gosh, we have to flip this. We got to trade everything right now. We got to go get the guy. We got to win now. We got to do all that. I'm not saying that. But I think if you set those expectations and you compare it to where we are, I think that's a really tricky spot. If you set the expectations that we are title contenders and you look at our current constructed roster, I don't know if those two things pair up necessarily. And I, What I would just say is like, I think the the word panic and like what, you know, I think our listeners are feeling, maybe Twitter people, whomever, it really is just this crossroads that to me comes down to to the question of is now the time to push in the chips based on Josh's trajectory? You know, is he in his peak right now? If so, then you got to figure out how to maximize the next two to three years. That's that's in, in the discussion. That's it. If you think he's going to peak even more, you know, maybe next year, and then that starts his window for the next three years, then you've that's when you start to orient it. And I, I've always just used the, the terminology of just maximizing your probability to win when Jaws at his peak. And, you know, John, who he is, his body type, the history of the NBA, it's not crazy to say that Jaws at his peak right now. He's the top five NBA player right now, it, like objectively. Agreed. So – to me, that says you you win championships when you have a top five NBA player. And I think that's where, like, I'm not trying to panic. I wish that we were having the discussion of uh, because we came into the season thinking culture wasn't a problem for us, that it was more about maybe roster optimization. That's what I wish we were talking about. I wish that I could come into this trade deadline and only really be thinking about how do we maybe just make a couple upgrades here and I know that culture is going to trumpet and we can win. I'm not convinced that that's the case right so, now so for this year. What is your, what's your culture? What is your culture worry? I think we have a leadership issue somewhere. I don't know where it is, but I think that the way that the team has responded post Christmas is leadership malpractice everywhere. I think their behavior on the court consistency based on being a, a team that has championship aspirations this year and next year, something is happening that is very atypical, thankfully, for the franchise over the past three years. And I think it's played itself out in the majority of the quarters that we've watched. I think the uh, the normal fan can feel it and see it. And I don't. I really don't know what it's coming down to. I, I Sometimes I wonder, is the team growing into this kind of like – hey, we do have this superstar. Are there things happening with him on and off the court that maybe start to come into play that that's tough for this franchise to grow up and lead? Is Jenkins prepared for that? Does he have the moxie to handle it? I don't know. Does does the uh, overall front office have the moxie to handle it? I don't know. But there is there is something that I really think switched Christmas Day, Jaw Ones, billion I'm going to be a billionaire. Uh, I'm not saying it's Ja, but, you know, on the record, I don't know. I really have no idea. But there is something, I think, very visibly that's happened that changed. And um, I can't say that just upgrading Dylan's position fixes this problem. So what what is your reaction when you see Jaron getting the all-star reserve nod? Those are just guys that are in it together. They're fun. That's fun. I mean, like, I mean, I don't know. Like, what – 
we really would have a problem if they weren't jumping on top of each other. I mean, that's just kind of like bros being bros, kind of fun stuff. That's not culture but, to me. But I mean, could it be though? Just they're feeling they were feeling themselves a little bit, and they see at the time we're tied with Denver. We have like you know at the time four or five losses ahead um, of the third seed, and like we don't have to play that hard to stay the two seed, maybe. And because we're young, and then honestly, and we have a big road game, and we don't play as well on the road because we're you know for very because nobody does. But then also we're young, and so our role players don't play as well on the road, and all those combo of things just give us kind of this losing streak, you know. And it's not really a culture thing; it's just kind of like the youth growing pains, you know. I mean, like the Celtics last year, another young team, you know, run by young players, like they start they were below five hundred at Christmas. You know, and they shifted it around. But we learned later that the Celtics actually had a culture problem. I, I, I realize that. I mean, that, there is some truth there. And I just think, to me, there's a little bit of... Um, I don't see... I, I see the body language, but I think, to me, it's just a lack of confidence. Like, we need to hit our threes. That affects our defense. Like, sort of things like that that people get frustrated with. And I don't know. I mean... Oh, let's see. I expect us. I, I think we're going to go. I mean, I'll, I'll throw it out here. I think we're going to go undefeated through the All Star break. Like, I, I'll throw out the last game, the last game, because you just never know with the game before the All Star break. I think we're going to win these three at home, and I think we're going to beat Boston on Super Bowl Sunday. I think that's going to happen um, because I think we're going to right the ship coming out. Uh, and but I could be wrong. But that's sort of the way I feel. Um, is that this is a blip? But yeah. I mean, and obviously, just, we're going to. I'm see. honestly just trying to be as objective as possible and observe what's happening. And this to me has been one of the lower dips since Jaw's been here in terms of the longevity of just sort of the, uh, I don't know, the valley of what the team is experiencing collectively, which, which again makes me think that something else has changed that we're not privy to. And it it is a it's a test of culture and strength and leadership that I don't think is winning. Yeah. I'm, that's not to say that it no. can't write itself out and eventually pull itself through holistically, but I think it's more organizational than it is just like the pieces on the court. Okay. That's my. I, that's I, my for theory. me, I think I get worried when I see a blowout loss to a bad team or something like that. Like to me, are two blowouts in this losing you know skid were schedule losses like the the kings and the Cavs were schedule losses and all the other games came were clutch were clutch games i mean the blazers score unfortunately uh, anyway i'm still fresh about the game that doesn't look like a clutch loss because of the 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 margin but like it was a close game last five minutes all those other games were and i guess that's where i get i'm not as worried because i think when i get nervous about our culture it's we're losing by a lot to teams that like we should not be losing a lot too. So I don't know, but I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's something to watch. I mean, you know, this is the way I feel now, but at the same time, I mean, if one in seven becomes two and 11, like we're probably having a different conversation here in a week or two. Well, I also think at the end of the day, like we're going to see it in the playoffs. And I think that's, what's going to happen is, and I mentioned this in our text, like I do think a first round exit is definitely possible in the wrong matchup because we are not built. I mean, we're built to, to, have a lot of, of different um, looks that we can throw at opponents and different lineups, which is great. Like our, um, our, our players are, some players are really versatile, especially like Jaron, for instance. And at the end of the, and also I could see us going to the West finals. Like, do I, do I think this is a team that could win the finals? I think in a weird year like this one, 
maybe in a different year when there's a juggernaut out there, like this is not a team that I feel like is like a giant killer, for instance, but I don't feel like there are any giants right now. And so like, that's why I think there's going to be just a really wide range. And what I try to caution myself against is being too results based and seeing the L and then completely disregarding everything that came before the L. And so something like the Lakers, which was a terrible loss. Um, and I think like a lot of things went wrong because that is a bad team that we sh- shouldn't have even been in the game with a Warriors team. Like they're both losses, but I think about them completely differently. And so that's the only thing that I would say to this losing streak. And I, the the other concern that I have is when you pull down half-court offense numbers, which tends to be how the playoffs go, right now we are 23rd in half-court offense. We are 11th in overall points per 100 possessions. Uh, or excuse me, in uh, I'll have to double-check that. But basically there we have the biggest – we have the one of the biggest variances between our half court offense and our actual like net offense, and only we're only behind Toronto in that variance. Only Toronto is worse with a than us than the half court, and like better than us uh, in terms of offense. Like that's the area that I feel like the front office at the beginning of the season said we made the moves we made to make this spot better. It has not gotten better, and that's where I am concerned. With, so I'd I'd love to ask y'all with that. Um, do y'all feel like um, the half-court offense still looks bad, or do you think it looks good? We're just giving it to players who then miss shots they need More to More that than the other, because obviously we're getting open looks. Do I worry how that's going to translate and how teams are going to game plan against us? I've said this multiple times on the podcast. If I'm game planning against the Grizzlies, I am packing the paint and I'm making anybody else but John Morant and Desmond Bain beat me but, but so and this is where for me so process wise i actually get excited because i don't think we were there this time last year right like i don't think like i think part of our issue with the t wolves early in that series was i think jaw wasn't trusting people in the same way and so so i will so i mean this is where i big picture it, it excites me because i do think we're getting better shots late in the shot clock when teams do stuff to us but obviously the issue is we got to make the shots yeah. Well, yeah, the, I mean, the whole, like, if you've ever played golf, what's the big saying? Like, there's no pictures on the scorecard. Like, same thing with our offense, right? There's no, like, pictures of how the play, you know, comes together. It's all about the result, whether we make the shot or not. And we haven't made the shot. And that's killed the Grizzlies for as long as I can remember. And until we can finish the play, it doesn't matter what the play looks like at all. Yes, like, again... I think it matters a little bit. Well, in because it shows that like, your coach is like actually competent. Sure. It shows you have Big players picture, that can thirty thousand foot view. A hundred percent, it yeah, matters. Yeah. Right now, with this construction right. of a team, again, back to what I was trying to say earlier. You're trying to contend, it does. It matters right now. Like unless we hit shots at a league average rate, which is not asking a ton, we will not win games, and we haven't done that in quite a while. Right. So. Again, until our roster construction potentially changes, like regardless of what plays you're drawing up, you have the greatest shot creator, one of them in the entire world right now on your team. What an amazing segue. And we are leaving him (laughs) just empty handed time and time again. So again, back to like expectations. Are they to like create good habits right now? Are they to create like, 
good things moving forward. If that's if that's the end goal, man, we are knocking it out of the park. If the end goal is to truly compete and contend for a title right now, to me, the the, the two things just don't line up. So, can we talk trades? You want to talk we trades? Need a break with for our sponsor and a yeah. refill. Yeah. That it's, was something. Hey, I love you guys. That was a really fun conversation. Yeah. We're all friends. <laughs> we are. We love no, each other. I, I love we all want the same thing. No, we all we, want the no, same I, thing. I mean, I think... NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game, and if it doesn't hit you'll get a bonus bet back. Download the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, we're back. Uh, We are going to now talk actual trade ideas. The prompt was to... Each of us bring three to the table that we would realistically get excited about if we saw Woj or Shams tweet this out. Um, Brantley, let's start with you. Okay. So I think that I I just made this a three-teamer just for fun. Um, This was all about getting rid of somebody um, on our end and receiving someone back that can stroke. Um, And I... So this is uh, San Antonio Spurs receiving Zaire Williams and some picks out from from us. Maybe I don't know which ones. We'll say one or two, potentially. Uh, maybe one. Maybe Detroit Pistons. This is this is not going to be perfect. Our own picks or the are you are the war? Is the I don't even pick? know. But just something, some okay. consideration. Right. We picks would prefer con- our picks. Picks yeah. considerations. The Detroit Pistons receiving Dylan Brooks and Jakob Purtle because they don't really have a center. They're, people are saying they're trying to like compete. They're really going to make the play-in this year, I hear. Um, they're going to be really good this they're year. They're going to be really good. And uh, the Memphis Grizzlies receiving back Boyan Bogdanovich. There's some picks on, There's some picks somewhere in all of those. I, I don't I, – I just wanted Boyan. So I just was like – you can make it work going to Detroit and not making all this happen, but I sort of feel like they – they um, – might need more than just Dylan and picks because they want to compete a little bit more. So I could see them getting a center back being a little bit more competitive. Um, I also think the Spurs, the main reason I did this, I gave them Zaire to like let them have a future asset. Um, and I could see us maybe doing something like that um, with the Spurs, just with sort of the synergies in that team. And I feel like that they're going to, they're one of the few teams that has cap space. I could see them in the Kyrie situation maybe receiving some debt of salary somewhere else. And so maybe they want to have some younger assets and other picks just kind of in the middle of all this stuff. So did anybody else have a Bojan trade? I also did. I did not, but I I love it. He, okay. I've been watching disagree the Pistons a lot recently. (laughs) I do feel like I normally did not enjoy the prospect of Bojan Bogdanovic and after watching a few of these games in the last week or two, like even on this terrible Pistons team, he is an unbelievable 
creator. And yes, he has a lot of defensive issues and we would be taking an L on that side. But my trade that I had to the Pistons was Danny Green, Tyus Jones, and the 2023 first round pick from the Grizzlies in return for Boyan Bogdanovich and then Corey Joseph, who has very similar numbers as Tyus, is only on a one-year deal, so we would open up cap space for this next season and also be taking Bogdanovich into a little bit of that. Um, but that's how we would structure the deal. Um, because I like I do, that not getting rid of Dylan. Yeah, we keep to, Dylan, yeah. and uh, Boyan is, is somebody who can either come off the bench or start in, in some cases, depending on the matchup, especially if you want to move Jaron to the five in a match a playoff matchup that Steven Adams can't start. So, yeah, I mean, I, so I'm, I, I, I don't love either deal, but like I can, I think, uh, I would be nervous about the culture stuff with Corey coming in for Tyus, but I Tyus think has been sneaky, terrible no, in the last I, two weeks. Oh, like, I agree. I agree. He, I mean, I, I think I just, he's I part of the problem. That would be my right slight now. worry. I think, I think I would be, uh, I would like getting – I think that my struggle with the Brantley trade, which actually, I mean, both of them are very interesting. I think I uh, – for me, my fear with Bogdan is we got to – is losing the defense completely really scares me. And then losing the defense Agreed. and then losing – so one of the issues that I'm going to have and you're going to see is that the Zaire-Dylan issue is that Z- I think Zaire was drafted to be our Dylan replacement. And obviously he has had a rough – last couple weeks I still believe in Zaire so I would be nervous about giving up both those guys um and 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 getting back an amazing shooter and and creator but a not a really bad defensive player like I think Jaron's great I don't know if he's that great uh and so that would be my fear um and then for you know and so but again I like Will's trade better I I don't like I don't like giving up Dylan and Zaire either it just made sense I'm gonna but but as an offensive guy I mean I uh, we we would score a lot of points with Bogdanovich for the Dylan. He, like if we have him and Bain on the same and Jaron all able to shoot threes with Jaw. I mean, we're, we would score so many points. This also would We'd be, be the most fun team. He is the type of guy though. He's in his thirties, so like he would be the type of win now mm-hmm. move that doesn't sacrifice any of your like core or, and doesn't get rid of a ton of assets in the future. So you can still. I mean, trade him later if you want to for a bigger deal, and you have all your assets still. But what was one of yours, Kraft? I mean, mine was boring. Uh, I mean, I, and and it totally copied. Uh, but you know, that's kind of uh, this is sort of my. Um, well, actually, I'll go with a boring one, or not a boring one, but basically just uh, Beasley for Danny Green and a twenty twenty three first or twenty twenty four first, whichever the jazz would rather have um who this is interesting because i have the same trade but you need another player to make the yes. salaries work who was the other player in your deal i mean i kind of um i don't totally care i, I kind of was gonna let um you know part of it is the problem with this is i think danny Ainge is gonna really try to get one over but i mean i would probably be cool with any of the with throwing any of the rookies in uh tillman i'm kind of cool with throwing in but i am I'm very like losing him. Then all of a sudden, our front court gets really thin. If Jaron or uh, or Steven like you know twist an ankle in the playoff series and we lose him for a game or two, and Tillman's shown 
that he can show up in big moments. I think long term he cannot. Like I don't think he performs over a playoff, you know, run, but I think in one or two games he can come in. So I'd probably say which one of the rookies do you like the most? Roddy Laravia, somebody like that, um, throw them in. I think then then it works. Correct? Yeah. I personally thought the same thing. I've been throwing Tillman in like every into every trade with Danny Green to make salaries work and now Seeing without Adams, I'm like, there's no way we have anybody who can fill that role, even if Tillman's undersized for it. He's been fighting so hard for rebounds and just doing the dirty work. Like, Adam, he's a very poor man, Steven Adams, but, like, we need him. So I threw Kennedy Chandler. Like, I am sneaky down on, on Chandler as a long-term proposition to come in and, and right. fill Tyus's spot long-term. And uh, I would be very willing. Yeah, he to would be the. He would in. easily be the one that I would. Which would and love, Ainge would not probably would going. not want to. And who right. knows if he and Ja have some sort of like, or Ja would have a say in which rookie, because uh, he would not pick Kennedy. Uh, anyway. the, yeah, the sneak. I mean, that was a sneaky, uh, which nobody really talked about, and I don't know if it was just an experimental thing, but that sneaky. I think believe it was the Kings game. We did not play Kennedy as the backup point guard, but tried a Bain sort of. Conchar backup look, um, which, which didn't really go super well for us. But it was just interesting to me that we didn't play Kennedy there. Uh, and yeah, so it might bizarre. have just been a one-off. It might have been an experiment. But that just, I don't know, that said something to me about how we feel, how we feel about Kennedy right now. And I guess I'll just say my I had this same trade. I threw in LaRavia. Um, I just, because I basically was like, um, I think Angel's going to want a prospect back on top of a pick just because that's the way he's sort of operating. Um, and I think that's more realistic. And I felt like he, I felt like LaRavia would be more desirable based on potential shooting. Um, this was not like some, someone that I cared to give up. And I also just feel like this is, this is the type of trade that is the most probable, even though I still don't even really feel like it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, and in a sense, I think LaRavia makes more sense than Kennedy too, because you're kind of telling Danny Ainge, we're giving you two. First round picks. We're giving you one from last year. We're giving you a top twenty pick from last year, and one coming up. So, um. I okay. I don't know if y'all have listened to the Mark Stein Chris Haynes new podcast. They've they just released it. It's only been two episodes or three now because they just interviewed Malik Beasley like yesterday and released it. And I listened to it today, and they asked him if he had heard of any teams connected to his name. They were more saying like, you don't have to say anything if you don't want to, but. We're just interested to see how much you actually hear uh, around trade chatter. And he listed off like five teams. None of them were the Grizzlies. And in my mind, I was like, oh, man. But then I was like, wait, that's actually probably a good thing. Because if he's hearing about he it, he listed like the Cavaliers. He listed out like random teams. Like um, he, he, he might have said he the be Knicks. great for the Cavs. Yeah, yeah. The, um, I'm trying to think. The other, honestly, I can't even remember. I just know that none of them were the Grizzlies. Um, so for what it's worth. Ty, what, did you have one you uh, were particularly excited about? I have a big one that's n- just 0.001% would happen, but I had to throw it out because it's just excited. Flashback me. to the Futures pod. All right, so this this comes away with the Grizz coming away with OG. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him before. Um, and then also Cam Reddish. Um, the same oh, trade. Both. A we couple both. of us at this table really like Cam Reddish. I am looking at you, Tubbs. I said Reddish. Anthony ago. Edwards says he's like the toughest guy he's ever guarded. Did y'all see that video that went viral where he was like Cam Reddish, man? I, I love that. I'm on Reddish Island with y'all. So. Okay, so the Grizzlies get OG and Cam Reddish. 
this is obviously a deal including the Raptors and the Knicks. Um, so I'll just say it. The Knicks come away with Dylan. Uh, Bless. Where this Lord, comes. Lord be almighty <laughs> to make this happen. Just because, only because he's a perfect Nick. Continue. Dylan was born in Perfect Nick. There were big time rumors two years ago that the Knicks, I think they had picks like 21 and 23 or 22 and 24. They had picks like kind of like mid, late first round. And they offered apparently both of them for Dylan. And we said no. Um, so we know the Knicks, and that is with their current like front office regime in place. So we know that they value him. At least they did. Um, so the Knicks come away with Dylan. We come away with OG and Reddish. And the Raptors get Svee Makai Luke, a.k.a. Salary Filler. And we give, that's from the Knicks. And we give them Zaire, LaRavia, our, sorry, the Golden State, 2024 first rounder, which is obviously has a lot of little bit more value than ours. And then a 2023 first rounder from the Knicks, who basically we got from the Dylan trade. So essentially the Knicks give us reddish and a first for Dylan. We package that first and send it to the Raptors along with the golden gold, the golden state first rounder, LaRavia and Zaire. And that's, that's how we get OG and Cam Reddish. So I know that's a lot going on. I'll repeat it. Grizzlies get OG Reddish. Raptors get Mikhail Luke, Salary Filler, and their main things are Zaire and LaRavia and a first from us and a first from the Knicks, and the Knicks get Dylan. So, so I, uh, I'll i just say, because I have a very similar to that, except which I actually like yours more than mine, so um, I'd much rather yours happen. Uh, but uh, for, for me, it's similar, except uh, – except that uh, the Raptors get Cam and Zaire. Um, and then it's like, I think, like Jericho Sims. This is basically the Matt Hurdle one. Um, you know, throw in some salary filler. Um, and the Raptors get two more picks. One of the goal, like basically both are 24 picks, uh, one of them being the Golden State Warriors one. And then, um, but we get like whatever the Knicks have, one of the, whatever the worst pick that comes out of all the Knicks stuff. Right. So like, so I actually like yours more because – I, if we could give up Laravia and Zaire, but get two players that – one player that is for sure better than everybody. Like, we're getting the best player in OG, but then we're also getting Cam, but giving up, like, a Laravia, I'm actually – like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that because I think Cam still – I still believe in him as, like – you know, I guess at this point it'd be, like, a third draft player, but – but like a player who I just think has not been utilized by any of the teams he's gone sure. to. To poke holes in my own trade, the tricky part is Reddish is, this is his last year of his contract, so he's due an extension. Um, that becomes tricky. If you're getting off of Dylan. Correct. Potentially. We are looking, like, what are we going to actually do for Reddish? Um, I don't know. Not much, maybe. Maybe this is just like a flyer, see if he fits. If he doesn't, we let him go, let him walk, no big deal. If we really like him, we bring him back in. Not really sure. Um, the Knicks are basically getting a very quality, just all you Knicks fans, no one listen to this, but like Dylan's just so great defensively, man. He's just so awesome. Um, he's just, he's the best perimeter defender in the league. The Knicks get that, and they only give up, you know, a first rounder, one of their three that they have in this upcoming draft. Um, they got some to give away. And Reddish, who apparently just they don't want anyway. 
Um, and the Raptors rebuild a little bit. They get two first-round picks, Zaire, who's just a surefire, the next Paul George, there's no doubt about it, and LaRavia, who's like Mike Miller 2.0. Like what, I mean, how is that not just the best it's like, trade It's ever? like you're talking to, you know, to yeah. New York GM. It's, you're exactly. talking to Rose right now. Knicks would be uh, nuts not to want Dylan. Yeah, he's, he's perfect. Um, okay, I've got an OG trade as well, and I think in in reality – the Raptors are going to seemingly win whatever trade is going to happen with OG. Based on his demand um, right now, I think all the teams that are in contention want OG and are going to bend over backwards to try to get him. And so I think we we have to bowl them over in order to win the sweepstakes. And so here was my trade. I had uh, us receiving OG Ananobi and Chris Bruchet. And we are sending out Danny Green, Dylan Brooks, and Zaire Williams, our 2023 first rounder, and the Golden State pick. Like, I think having Dylan, they can shop him if they want to. They can trade him to another team, maybe for another asset. But I think Zaire has to be in the trade, and there has to be at least two first round picks in the trade. Uh, and at this point, given Dylan Brooks's, this is what I was. Um, so when I said earlier at the beginning of the pod about Dylan's low value, like in this trade, weirdly enough, he is acting as salary uh, t- to make things work. And this is if you really wanted to sell low on Dylan and the Raptors think that they might have just gotten an asset that they can use for what they want um, after that. But I think that's what it's going to take at this deadline to get OG. I don't think it's going to take any less than that, personally. Would, you, would y'all do three? Or do y'all set stop at two first round picks? Like, like, would you would y'all be willing to get OG? Would you be willing to go twenty three, twenty four Warriors, twenty five for from the Grizzlies? Or do you, would you stop at two of those? Man, I I think it depends on like what young asset you're giving up in that. Like, if you're giving Zaire and three first, that may be a little too much. Y'all would say no. If you're as giving much as like, we would love OG. If you're giving like matching salary and like Laravia and three, I don't know. It's just really tricky because, gosh, I just keep coming back to you. I know, I, I know, I said this. I'm repeating a little bit from the uh, Harlika podcast, but it's like if you were to just like close your eyes and envision this team, and you just like plop. It's very similar to like the Justice Winslow trade. Like, peak Justice Winslow, if you just, like, put him on that roster, you're like, oh, my gosh, that just, like, makes so much sense. If you take peak OG and just put him on this team, like, everything that OG could ever be, you're like, that is the most seamless, perfect fit you could ever imagine. The one thing that people keep bringing up is, like, do you want to completely give up your war chest moving forward? So... If you look at, we have all of our own first-round picks moving forward. We have an extra one in the Golden State pick. So if you give up three, technically you have three or four more to either use that pick or trade down the road otherwise. So you're not giving up everything you have. Um, if it's like if the if the Raptors call back and be like, we need one extra like protected first. God, I mean, I think I think I would. I would I do it for I would two and a swap. Trigger. That would be my sure. Compromise. That's a good point. That's a good point. So two and a swap, which yep. means well, the problem that yeah, the problem with two and a swap though is the most imp- the best of the 
assets is the Warriors pick, which we couldn't do. Exactly. You couldn't do the swap that's on the, that That's one. the hard part. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the thing that I keep going around um, is the Dylan issue of because that's I feel like I mean, like people are starting to cry because I was talking to a couple of some friends <laughs> Friday about this and I was basically like, yeah, we're probably going to either trade Dylan or sign him to a hefty four year contract. So to flip that on you, what would you rather do? Would you rather trade Dylan or <laughs> sign him to a four year eighty million dollar? Well, deal? I, I mean that I've. I mean, I mean, as much as I've been a Dylan defender, because I do think his defense is really important and matters. And I also think in a playoff series in particular in the West, when we have a lot of heliocentric offenses like Luca, um, like Booker, like, uh, you know, like Curry, where you have like these matchups, um, you know, and honestly, Jamal Murray, too, in a sense, with the Nuggets, where you can have a guy to put on. That's so important. The, the thing is, OG fits all that. So OG kind of cures that. And so for me, I've been thinking through if we mortgage the future, potentially, if we give up, if we do the three, you know, uh, if we go all out just to get OG and that really does put us. But at the same time, I also think there's a sense of, okay, that maybe gives us a ceiling, but we could be also just needing to come to grips with the fact that we might already just have a ceiling because, uh, though we can always trade them, we can even sign and trade them, but we can trade them these next four years. But like, it almost feels like because of the cap situation, we've got to, and the bird rights, we have to sign them to like a four year, I think 80 to a hundred million dollar deal. I mean, the one good thing is the worst he plays, you know, the weird again, catch 22 is if he plays really badly, we might be able to sign him for a lot less. Exactly. Um, but uh, but that's sort of the issue, and that's where I keep going back and forth because there's almost a part of me that thinks, man, maybe we just should, even though we're going to get killed because OG's never going to make – like to give up so much for a non-All-Star is crazy, but the fit's really good. Yeah, the and, fit's great. It just feels like the price point's too high. I was like – I've like been thinking about this, and uh, you know, Vernon has talked a lot about this outside of Grizzlies podcast where he just is like scoffing at the price point. And I really feel like I agree with him. There's some principle. Cause I'm just like, what I, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say, I know OG's game the greatest, but I've watched enough Raptors stuff and gone back and watched highlights. I just like, I don't, the fit is awesome. I'm not sure how much it really truly raises our ceiling. Maybe there's some untapped offensive potential in him that we just don't get to see. Um, night in and night out, and I, I don't know. That's just where I sort of feel like we we're we should and continue to be careful um, with what the war chest is in the future until you really know for sh- it's a surefire bet. That sort of feels yeah. like a little bit of a like you're at least getting replacement value on Dylan. You might be getting a little bit better. We're going to get someone we all like better. That means something, but it doesn't mean something necessarily to like getting us to where we're, you know, parading down, you know, Beale Street, you know, celebrating a finals, celebrating a championship. I say this half in jest, but, you know, Brooklyn is in a weird spot right now. And we were connected to the Kevin Durant sweepstakes earlier. And who's to say that this summer we aren't, aren't going to be in the same exact situation. And you would hate to spend everything now and potentially miss out on that in the future. Yeah, that and just like there could be some other weird stuff that continues to happen, and we are sort of primed 
like waiting for something and maybe nothing. I think, you know, Zach Lowe said this on his pod. was like, what are they waiting on? You know? And I'm like, does OG guarantee us to win a championship this year? If we get him? No. So like, I don't. And there's also, was it the Stein podcast where they were talking about how there, you know, there was rumors that the Pelicans and the Grizzlies are both, both afraid of each other getting OG. And I'm like, Honestly, like I'd be more scared if they got Malik Beasley because <laughs> that dude could hit shots. I know well, that's terrible. That's, okay, to but your like, point, I'm just like I don't I don't understand how that's even sourced to your from point, our end. Yeah, that to me though, I was going to say the OG. What it solves is your Dylan problem. It does not solve your shooting problem because OG is a better shooter, but he is not in any way, shape, or form an elite shooter. And so, to me, you're almost saying. We're kicking the can down the road one more time to then try and go out and sign a shooter in the offseason or trade for another one using a different asset. And that's why when I was actually thinking through what realistically do I think an OG deal looks like, I do think it includes Dylan at this point because I don't see a scenario where you have both of them on this roster. No, you, I don't think it'd be weird. Yeah. And I mean, I'm the culture guy. There's no way that happens culturally. Right. That exactly. We can do that. Exactly. And you're... Just from the cap standpoint, you're going to sign Bain. But to pay all those future picks just to kick the can down the road, which I agree with you, that's what they're doing. That would is what would be doing done, and it's too expensive. So I'm just like, well, kicking the can implies that you're not getting better, and you're just keeping the same. Like we are getting better. It's just that you're not solving what we would maybe in the last hour have considered to be our core problem. Yeah. And you're only saying we're getting better at what we're already good at. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, that that's worth something. But the question is mm-hmm. how much. So and that's and I guess so for y'all, um, because I think, you know, fan like I think most a lot of the people, a lot of our listeners, uh, the thought of, <laughs> you know, seeing inefficient fadeaway jumpers, weird distraction, flagrant fouls uh, from Dylan Brooks in 2027 uh, like get get you know, giddy up for the next four years of this. I think that for most people will be upset by that. Do you feel like, in other words, do you feel like not making a move with Dylan now sets you up for that, or do you feel like just sign Dylan and we can trade him later? Like that's kind of, that's sort of the thing. That's where when I get into because part of it is like yeah we're more you know we don't want to give away too many future picks, but part of me is like are we already. If we if we are forced to sign Dylan, are we now already giving ourselves a ceiling for the next four years? You know, I, don't, I mean, obviously, I think all three of our core players are going to get better. So I don't. I think we're going to get better. But as far as just other people, that's the other thing that I'm worrying about. Like with um, with Dylan, because as someone I'm I'm a huge Dylan defender. I'm just starting to worry about the cap and what's going to be forced upon us when, like, kind of like, do we need to make a move now? with a little more uncertainty, you know, is that a bigger deal or, you know, sign them and you can always trade people in the future, which is what a lot of people think, but I don't know. So I don't, I wanted to hear what y'all's thoughts were. No, I think that's a good point. Cause if you look at like all these future firsts that we have, an interesting thing to me is everyone was like, no way they're going to draft like all these picks that they have. And like last year's draft, like we literally traded up to get an extra first round pick. We, like, I don't even know if we have room for our 2023 first-round pick as it currently stands. Like, that player 
is just going to go straight to the hustle. Like we don't, we can't even draft. We don't even have enough roster spots moving forward to draft all these guys. So like, what is truly the value of the 28th pick in the 2023, 2024, 2025 pick moving forward? I think if you include the Golden State pick, maybe there's like, obviously everyone's mentioned a lot of upside in that. But, like, we don't even have enough room or space. Like, if you look at LaRavia, like, his rookie deal is, like, a four-year deal. If you look at Roddy, four-year deal. Like, we signed Kennedy Chandler to the longest, most expensive second-round pick deal ever. Am I right? Like, the contract that he signed is the biggest, longest it, contract I mean, of any second-round yeah, pick that's, that's ever been. Yeah, but that's making it sound like more than it really is. Though. Maybe so, but it's yeah. still like a you contract. Get, you can wave him, and you're only out a million True, dollars. but it is a contract on the books e- moving excellent forward. Excellent PR move by the Grizzlies. By yeah, the exactly. Conchar. We just signed Conchar to a four-year extension. That is a guy on the books for a very cheap deal moving forward. So if you look at, like, what does a first-round pick value a team that is truly in contention right now, you would think very little, right? Like, the chances of finding – I've heard this elsewhere, too. The, the chances of finding a Desmond Bain, who is a legitimate all-star contention player in year three that he's in the league, is, like, incredibly rare. That doesn't really happen that often. So I'm looking at, like – our picks the next three or four years, like kind of what you were saying, Kraft, a couple pods ago, give them away like candy. I don't care. The crazy thing is, five years from now, guess how old Ja will be? 28. Entering his prime, you would imagine. Guess how old Jaron will be? 28 years old. We will have all those picks moving forward after that. We will have the draft 28, 29, 30, 31, 32. My point is like, a part of me thinks that like now is the time to give up picks because we can't really use them anyway. We have a lot of those back end of the roster, your, your eighth, ninth, tenth man on the roster type guys already. And what are you hoping for in a 25th pick in the draft is an eighth and ninth man on a contending team moving forward. So you're saying why not spend We have those team. guys. Exactly. So my point is like if that's going to hold you back, is like those picks when you theoretically already have those guys already on your roster. Mm-hmm. And then by the time those like, man, I wish we had some picks that we could trade, we will have them again. Okay, so yeah, so that, our core is so young that we will have them in three or four so years. You would we say, will have all those picks moving yeah, forward. So you would say Herdlicka's worry, which is this year and next year, fine. But once we get to 2025, 2026, like he's like, I want to hang on to those because – if we want to make another trade, we need those sweeteners. We need those extra assets. So we're not just doing player for player, which is really hard because it's hard to give, have a team give you a better player and you're giving them a worse player and not have a first-round pick to throw into. And so, Because that was his point. That was his sure. concern. And that makes sense. I just think that like, by then we would be willing to give up the Well, to me, like, that thought process of what you just talked about is really like condensing our window. That makes it sound like our window is the next two or three years. And outside of that, like, we're, we're toast. We don't have a window outside of that. And if you look at the Grizzlies' current, currently constructed roster, our three best players are under the age of 24. You would imagine our window would be six, seven, eight years open, not two I, or three. I love, I'm loving this talk, by the way. I like it. 
So the point of like giving up our first round picks for the next two or three years, that doesn't condense our window. That doesn't limit our window. It may in the next couple years, but again, when you're best player, when you're multi-time all-star, when you're guy who has his own shoe deal turned 23 in August, your window is extended. You have a little bit more wiggle room, right? You have a little bit more freedom to almost have like two separate windows. Like Jaws, a young player. Yes, I know that he's plays recklessly and you can't count on him being available for the long term, but you can't be like, oh man, he could get hurt tomorrow. Let's do everything we can to win within the next two years. Like you still have to consider the fact that he's really young, still growing as a superstar in this league, in this market being the face of a franchise like Memphis. So like when he's 28 years old, that is five years from now. We will have all the picks we could ever imagine to then trade again for another guy. So I don't think we are just completely hamstrung if we trade the next couple years of picks. So if so if Toronto and like just all the different tra- New York, Toronto, all this stuff, if we end up so if we get OG, but we give up Zaire 2023 Golden State 2025. Like, what do you, would you you would you think they should think about that more than they probably will? Sure. So my point is like, if you're if you're just completely terrified of giving up Zaire, why draft Roddy? Why trade up to draft Roddy? Why give away Melton of a, a decent asset for Roddy? Why trade up to get Laravia? Like, what's the point? If you're not afraid to like make future moves, like why are you doing all this now? Like in my in my mindset, like to trade up to get Roddy, to trade up to get Laravia, technically should free you up to give away some future picks because like you can't use all of them. You can't continue to trade into the late first round. You can't continue to right. use all your first round picks for guys that are just continue to play in the G League forever. Mm-hmm. Like, what's your point in using those picks? Like. We're you can't gonna use cut, them. All. We're gonna have to cut you somebody for Lofton anyway, right? That, exactly. Like you, <laughs> yeah. You can't like Kenny Lo- again. Kenny Lofton, rising like, star. If he's gonna potentially, like, if he's gonna like actually potentially be a rotation player, if you continue to use all your picks moving forward, he's never gonna get the chance. So like, you can't have it both ways. You can't draft a bunch of guys in last year's draft. You can't trade away Melton to use a first round pick and get Roddy. And also continue to draft all these late first round picks. Like they, these guys can't all play. Like you're gonna have to eventually take your assets and move them. Everyone thought it was gonna be last year. Clearly, it wasn't. Maybe it's not this year either. But you're gonna have to do it at some point because you're gonna run out of spots. Brantley, did you have any other trades that you liked? Um, I don't know the scale of liked, but. I did have a trade, a, another Dylan Brooks to New York trade. That's just, I feel like we should say it's that it, it ends up with us getting Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, Love him. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. So there's there's some picks probably somewhere to sweeten this, but I don't know. I didn't really think about that. I just thought about the salaries for fun. Y'all can tell me where picks needed to go. But basically the Hawks, who are borderline like playing team, you know, there's been rumors of, What's going to happen with Trey Young? They get back Derrick Rose and they get Zaire from us. So we get Bogdan. New York gets Brooks. They get D Rose and Zaire. Um, probably a you know, pick every now and then. But um, it's all about you know another shooter, another wing scorer for us. A little bit longer. You know, Bogdan is six five versus Malik Beasley six four. 
Um, yeah, and I, I just feel like the Hawks are they're a poverty ass franchise, man. They're trash. So let's go pick them apart. Amen. <laughs> All right. Any other trades that anybody's excited about? Uh, so I'm I'm I would be excited. So in the rankings, um, the OG trade that we talked about, I'd be more for that um, than than Beasley as well. But I also would be interested if the Bulls decide to actually blow it up. I I would actually be really interested in getting Caruso. Um, for Danny Green and a pick, like uh, because I am, I think throwing this year's pick in, I, I almost feel like we're gonna not have our pick because of all the things that Ty just said. I, I, I think we probably like, I, my guess would be we like both of our G League players this year more than anybody we would pick twenty eight to thirty or twenty five to thirty in this year's draft. I could be wrong about that. Uh, so I feel like we're gonna be looking to move that anyway, potentially as the draft nears. And so I would, I think Caruso would be a really, um, I like Beasley more because as what we've talked about, I just think we need shooting like pure shooting, but I do think Caruso shoots it well. Um, I just think he would be an upgrade over the, uh, the Conchar Roddy, maybe even Zaire minutes, potentially, uh, you know, those seven, eight minutes in the playoffs that we're going to be playing a backup wing. And so I would I would I, w- I would like Crusoe, and I think he fits our culture very much, and um, and hopefully in a in a Jenkins let it fly culture would get him to shoot it more because that's actually one of the, he has a similar Conchar issue of just not shooting as much as he really should, um, but I think he would be a great fit and he would be a little a defensive he's better defensively than Beasley, but um, but Beasley I think fit is just shoots it so much better than Crusoe. But if that's like if if we just can't get Beasley for a decent price or somebody else outbids us, I think Crusoe would be a good plan B. Any other trades? Not particular, but I do want to hear everyone's thoughts on like what you prefer we do with Dylan right now. Do we all agree that we're kind of like we're at a point where we trade him or extend him? Like those are kind of our two options. And B, like, other option. just let him walk, I guess, during free agency. Um, where, think, where are we? I, just, I think letting I, him walk would be, uh, yeah, I just think that, that would be a disaster. Sure. Just cap-wise and flexibility-wise. 100% agree. So where, I want each of y'all to answer, like, where are we on him? Like, what are y'all, what are y'all wanting? What are y'all envisioning moving wanting forward? Wanting or predicting? Both. Do both. Wanting first, predicting second. I've wanted Dylan gone for the past three and a half to four years. <laughs> I feel like it's well documented of the one time that I was like hit by a bus and apologize. I'm not really sure why that happened. It was Silkies. It was Silkies. Really, it was really good. We I did really, it in Silkies. I really, really, really wish that I could take that back, but I can't. It's it's there and it's documented, but everything else has always been about getting rid of Dylan. That's my personal. I don't. I think we'll resign him. I bet it's to a decent deal. I also think that's playing into his performance. He's having the worst shooting year of his career this year. So, like, if we overpay for him, then we're not in the front office. I thought we were. So, I'd be shocked. Couldn't agree more. I kind of have this feeling that he will get resigned because, to me, the only deal that they'd send him out for is an OG level deal, and I think that we potentially could convince like usually as the team you want to have more control therefore more years dylan might be a circumstance where he negotiates a shorter deal to try to get back on the market sooner when the cap's going to go up that could end up being a win-win for us because then we could negotiate down on the number 
And so I would, I don't know about this prediction because I think a lot of it will depend on his playoff performance as well. But I think that we see him around 20, probably lower. It's probably like a two-year or three-year plus a player option. And then I think we might even see Danny Green re-sign with the team. And I don't think that's getting talked about enough because he's very much expressing that he wants to come back. And um, I don't know. I would not be surprised to see this front office like run it back, per se, with this group. Um, I still think there's less than a 30% chance that a trade happens, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, at, I mean, and I'll say, I mean, again, going back to the whole silver lining rant, I, I mean, our core has not lost a series when healthy. Like, they have not. Like we went with the starting five that we have, if the five of them are healthy, we've not lost a series. I think the Warriors series has a lot, you know, I mean, again, nothing. I, the Warriors won the title. I'm not trying to take it away. I'm just saying that there are a lot of exceptions in that series. Bain being super injured, Dylan being gone for two games, Adams being gone for two game for three games, Ja being gone for three games. Like there's just a lot of that. And I, I do think ultimately our front office does think that breaks go our way, health, we win the title last year. I mean, I, I really think our front office kind of believes that. So that does make me think that I agree with Will that there is a less than 30%. I think I have gotten more... Um, I So all that said is if we don't make a trade, I'm not going to be in despair. I'm probably going to still be my annoying positive self about, about this team and its trajectory, even this year. Uh, I would like to... I think that... We, if we can just give up a pick, um, I think we should really look about adding s- shooting. I do think the Danny Green component's hard because I think he would like sign a minimum for us going forward. But I just I know Beasley and I know Crusoe are better than Danny Green um, right now. Like I, I mean, I just feel like that that would be better for us, and that and I just want to go with the more certain um, than the uncertain. Uh, and so that's where I am. And I think with Dylan, I, I'm, I'm, I'm real conflicted because of all the things that Ty said and all the things we've been talking about with Dylan. Um, I, I do worry that he's now shown twice, um, this very emotional, um, because he let his emotions get the best of him, and it, and it got him thrown out. Um, it got him thrown out of a game, and we fortunately were able to still pull that game out. But I think it really affected us game three. We did we didn't have him there to guard Steph, and um, and, th- and then this game, this last Cavs game, just that immaturity and the emotional like that can't happen in a playoff series. That loses you a series if a guy does something like that, and that does make me nervous, and does make me feel like if 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 we let the Raptors take us a little bit to get OG and get rid of Dylan and move on. I, I, I think I'm, I would, I would not mind that at all. Like, I think like, I don't, you're not going to see me. I think f- Thursday afternoon saying we gave up too much to get OG and to get off Dylan. I think it would be, I mean, I say that and then of course watch us like do something crazy, but I don't think our front office will do that. Um, so I'm more, I, I more think we should, but I, do I think we will? No. I mean, I don't think we'll even – I think we believe in Danny Green too. Like, I, I think we're – I don't think we'll go after Beasley or Caruso or, or any kind of player like that. I don't think we'll look, you know, to get in on any either of the Bogdanoviches. Um, so, but – Agreed. Every, I agree with all of this. I felt like I was wasting my time putting together fake trades. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I, but I wanted to do it anyway because it's really But fun. I think there is this weirdness of – and again, I mean uh, – 
everybody says contracts are untradeable or like we can't trade. We you can always trade people. I just I do think that like as much as oh if we trade our assets to get OG, we're giving ourselves a ceiling. It might be a title, but it's a ceiling as far as what we can do the next two, three years. Well, I think, well, but having to re-sign Dylan to a four-year contract, if that happens, well, then that's also a ceiling we're giving ourselves with only the only out being making amazing Bane-like first-round picks um, or, you know, finding another trade with Dylan in it next year. And, uh, you know, and so it's hard for me to see. Um, anyway, but that's, I mean, that's where the conflict goes. I just, everything to me points to, there's the Grizzlies aren't going to do anything. They trust their their front office, their development, and and I'm going to trust them if we don't make anything. But if you're asking me what I want, I kind of want to trade. I would also caution people like you're not going to see any Grizzlies leaks. Like you're just not going to see the news unless it's literally the player on the team that has a podcast who's been here for five <laughs> minutes making the announcement. Like. That's the only time I've ever seen anything Grizzlies related actually get out that ended up being correct. And so just don't fret. Like him coming back. And that, to and, play. That, and honestly, <laughs> that they that that they let Danny do that makes me feel even more like they're not gonna trade him. Yeah. Honestly. That's true. All right. Well, um, this has been great. We we had a lot to talk about this podcast. We're gonna be back with you after the trade deadline, no matter if the Grizzlies did anything or not, but it could be, you know, this could be a mile marker episode for us if there is a big deal made because uh, we're at a we're at a critical and, and juncture we're, and we're going three three and zero this week. That's our preview. We're are you worried? Are you, any of y'all worried about another Western Conference team making a big trade for this season? Yes. Who are you worried about? Warriors and Pels, and apparently now the Clippers because they're looking at Kyrie. A little more war, only Warriors. By the way, I just got a notification that Steph Curry has a lower leg injury. We don't know what it is, but he was seen leaving the oh, game. Oh, look at this live pod. Interesting. Uh, so that could change things. Can I also say that I'm worried about seeing like Mike Conley end up in a Clippers, Pelicans, or Timberwolves jersey? Like, I'd Or even, even Lakers. I'd be fine with Lakers, I think, I just, just because like it'd be kind of cool for him. But like those other poverty ass franchises, I don't want him in those jerseys. Not gonna lie, I almost put together a jazz trade where we also got Conley. Amazing. But, but we sent out Tyus, so it was I, I, like I'm we in. switched. Yeah, yeah, that sounds fantastic. I will to- I would totally be cool with that. Yeah. Um bring him back. No, I I'm actually not nervous anymore about the Pelicans. They're I mean, they might not even make the play in given the stretch that they're on right now. I mean, they they will because Zion's gonna come back and he's gonna be fine. But um, I still I don't think that there's a trade that they can make that would make me nervous per se. Even if they got OG, I think that they're giving up a lot of depth, and he doesn't add like he's another. You could argue that he is semi one dimensional, which they already have plenty of those guys sure. on their team. Um, the Clippers would make me nervous, but they're about the only ones right now. I I'm, I just Kyrie I just it's too long of a track record. Kyrie does not make teams better. Um, LeBron somehow he had a three. Ga- I just think he has lived off an amazing three game final stretch. In I agree 2016. with you. I kind of disagree with you. I mean, no, I, I I agree that Kyrie is like the worst thing that could happen to a franchise. The only problem with that would be if he comes to like if he gets traded to the Clippers and has a belief for this 
three month stretch that they're going That's to resign point. him yep. and that he's going to be awesome. But I also don't trust him to change, like to not change his mind within like 30 seconds. So I don't know. I just think the unpredictability is why I wouldn't be panicking, but that would make them better. I think if we entered a playoff series against the Clippers, the Lakers, whoever it may be, and Kyrie's on the other side, every game I'd be terrified for sure that he would go for like 40 plus and I, not miss. I agree. Three. I just, I, I just, again, it's like, I can't, Seven game series. I just something would happen, you know. Maybe I, so. I just it's it's too load management. <laughs> load, management load management. I don't know. I mean, that's I just still can't take the Clippers seriously. Even though you know, we'll be interested to see if they can really st- keep this kind of winning ways going that they've been I think on a little bit. Lately. One thing I'm, I think this this trade deadline will tell us a lot about the Grizzlies, though. Agreed. This is the most important trade deadline we have had. we've ever had, and I think this will tell us a lot about our front office and where they view us as contenders, what they think our trajectory is, where they view us as a team. I think this really will. You disagree? I think it's this summer. I don't think. Okay, it's, fair enough. It's fair deadline. enough. I mean, are, are I agree the, with you what you're saying principally, yeah. but sure. I, I just don't see us operating that way in the trade I think deadline. this is the most important trade deadline ever, but then the summer will be the most important summer ever. Yeah, yeah. And therefore Trump. I just think the, the yeah. Dylan yeah. thing, like, I've we've said this over and over again. Like, it is, it has really come to a head. Like, something has to happen. Either he is on our team or he is not on our team. And, after and maybe that, this and if, is pushed right. to the summer. Well, but it's, ha- like, yeah. they're, like... That is coming to a He's head. an unrestricted no. free agent. Something will happen there. Yeah. I will and say, I'm fascinated to see what happens. Our mo- the most our front office thing ever would to be make a huge shocking trade but have but not be anything anybody's talked about. Exactly. Like that that like, like that, go get Zach Levine. Yeah, or something just something crazy. between now and Thursday. Something <laughs> Which, that we well, used to be all on that. because everybody's either we're gonna Finger pointing yes, I, I, I hear you. For everybody it's like we're not gonna do anything. Or we're going to do these like three things that everybody's been writing for the last month. And for just to do something crazy, nobody's thinking of would be like very our front office. But, uh, you know, who knows? It does feel like everybody plugged into the Grizzlies, like really plugged in, not wish casting, doesn't think we're going to do anything. Zach Lowe said that recently that every trade scenario he's brought up, including the Grizzlies, is pure speculation. He has said over and over again zero reporting. They're probably not going to do anything. I hope they do. It's ah, it's such See, like, an interesting who's thing. Low plugged into Vernon is being very. Oh, they're gonna. I think they're gonna do something. To flip that though, who is Vernon plugged into? I don't know. He you works know? in the building, man. That's like, true. He walks the halls. That's true. I don't know though. The buzz he, is. I don't different. think he knows. I think he has what he wants, but I don't know if he knows. I don't. Yeah. I. He. It. It. I have been on the like, man. We're not gonna do anything. And and I'm I just that's been my intuition. And then every time I hear him talk on the mismatch, Vernon, he's been so like, oh, I think they're going to do something like in a sense that he like maybe he's not sourced on it or maybe he is. And it just feels very strange when he says like, yeah, they're going to I feel like they're going to do something like that's a I would he's pretty good intuitionally at, at times, it feels like. So that's kind of just got me feeling Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. No, I think that's completely fair. If there's anybody who would be talking about something and have a, a tiny bit of knowledge, it would be him. So, yeah. and I and I don't think. I mean, people have talked about front office arrogance. I don't. I don't think our 
I mean, I think the Winslow stuff shows our front office isn't arrogant. We we sh- we go off of mistakes and and so I don't think if they really think that the Melton Anderson trades like left them too uh, shallow, you know, not deep enough on the wing position, they're going to go out and get a wing. Like if they don't make a move, it's going to be because they think we have enough. I, I mean, I really do think that. So. This has been an awesome episode. Thank you for uh, sticking with us. We will be back with you after the trade deadline, and we will be unpacking all that does or does not happen. Uh, then we will be short episode or a long. That's right. Then we'll be we will be enjoying All Star Break coming up in the next couple of weeks. Having two All Stars there, plus Kenny Lofton, like Brantley alluded to, who will be in the Rising Stars game. And uh, hopefully we can maybe convince somebody to get Desmond Bainon on the three-point contest again to have uh, a representation at, at almost every event there. So um, thanks for joining us. We will be back with you soon.